You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Omar Khadr is back in the news. He and his lawyers are trying another way to get out from under his sentence and bail conditions. Now, you'll recall back in December, a court turned down his request to ease those bail conditions so he could get a passport, travel freely, and talk to his notorious sister Zainab without any supervision. Well, now he's trying a different tactic involving a technical legal argument. He wants a court to declare that the eight-year sentence he received in 2010 is over. The thing is that the clock on that sentence stopped ticking when he was granted bail back in 2015. So, how is this going to turn out? Is this just a matter of the lawyers trying every technicality until something sticks? We, of course, want to hear from you. The numbers to call, 416-360-0740, toll-free, one Eight six six seven forty four seven forty, and right now we are going to go to Phil Gursky, who is president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consultants and a former strategic analyst at CSIS, and Ari Goldkind. Hello to both of you. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Libby. Great to be on with you, Libby. Okay, uh, Phil. Let's start with you. So, uh, what do you make of this? Is this just, uh, you know, trying to get off on a technicality? Well, I, I think I'm of, of several minds on this, Libby. I mean, first and foremost, I think like a lot of Canadians, I'm just, I'm just sick and tired of listening, listening about Omar Cotter. And you and I have talked about this on, in previous programs. Um, from a legal perspective, I'll, I'll leave it up to Ari because he's really the legal guy here. But I mean, my understanding of Canadian law is that you know once you kind of serve whatever sentence is assigned to you, and once the state um, says you're no longer a threat to national security, then I, I'm not sure what else we can do in this particular case. So I think there are legal considerations, um, and but I do think that Canadians are just getting a little bit weary of of the Omar Cotter saga and of the Cotter family saga in general, but. In, in this case, and I'll defer to Ari on this, I, I do think the legal, the legal conditions are the ones that, that apply, I think, most, most seriously here. Okay, but, but again, he was granted, if he had been sitting in jail serving his sentence, it would have been over, but he was granted bail. So that stops the clock, doesn't it, Ari? Well, it depends on your view of parole, Libby, because, you know, if you're serving a sentence, you know, he could have still been subject to terms of parole and various supervisory orders, particularly given his renewed deal to speak to his terrorist sympathizing or terrorist sister. So it's not as if he would have been under no supervision whatsoever. And when you see the limits of the Canadian public being tested, here's a quote from his uh, psychiatrist or some other counselor involved with him, that the conditions that he's out on, on bail, and Canadians should understand, He's free to do what he wants. He's free to go where he wants. He just doesn't have a Canadian passport, which he wants, and he wants to speak to his terrorist sister. You know, this person who I'm referring to, I don't want to say her name to dignify the ridiculousness, said that those bail conditions are as tough as the conditions he faced at Guantanamo Bay. Oh, are I mean, you serious? Is, I'm 100% <laughs> serious. In okay. today's paper, 
It's in a mainstream newspaper. She's quoted. I don't want to say her name because my eyes rolled back in my head. Not literally, but quite figuratively. And I do think, maybe you said something right on the mark before you went to Phil, which is I don't fault his lawyer for doing everything a lawyer can do. That's what we do. We're advocates. But this has to be much more of a political conversation where Omar Cotter, I think, has become the poster boy for a lot of Canadians' concerns about immigration and certain religious issues when it comes to immigration and who and what Canada is for. And I just think that Omar Cotter is somebody we hone in on because his case is, I'm going to make up a word, vomitatious, but he's got $10.5 million of our hard-earned dollars while there are mentally ill and homeless people all around our city and other cities that don't have two nickels to rub together. The generosity of Canadians to this man, I think, apparently, according to our government, knows no bounds. And I think not only should it come to a stop, and the court should say enough of this already, but I think it should actually open up a much broader conversation about what is Canada and what are our policies. Okay, but let me just say this. We are in the midst of this whole uh, uh, nasty incident with China, and what we are saying is that this has nothing to do with politics. We are a country of law, and we're just following legal process. So uh, how do we say something different in this case, Phil Gursky? Well, I don't, I don't know that we do. And, and I, 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 I love Ari's word, vomitations. I might start using that, actually, if that's okay with you, Ari. Um, I, I, look, the law says what the law says, and I, I certainly don't think that Mr. Cotter's conditions in Edmonton or wherever he's living in Western Canada are, are that onerous. It certainly isn't Guantanamo North kind of thing. But I, I do think at the end of the day that the government, even if it doesn't want to, to politicize this issue, it can simply say, look, you know, the law, the law is what the law is. And again, I'm going to defer because I'm not, I'm not a legal expert. But I do think the government can only do so, so much. And, and I think that clearly they, they would wish the whole thing would go away because it doesn't look good on them. An election's coming up, and you can bet your bottom dollar that you know, the conservatives at a minimum are going to raise this as to what's Canada's policy with respect to foreign fighters. We heard Ralph Goodale say yesterday we're not, going to, we're not in a hurry to return people to proper ISIS, which I wholly agree with. We shouldn't be, able to re- shouldn't be you know, rushing to return them. So this is a very sensitive issue for the Trudeau Liberals, and, 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 and I, I don't know what, how constrained they are by what, by what the Charter says, what the Criminal Code says, what legal practice says. Um, they have to do what the law says, right? They can't, they can't make an exception in this case unless they change the law, which is going to you know, take some time and then maybe precedent might, might apply anyway. But I, I do think there are a lot of limitations to what the government can and cannot do in this case. Um, and before we get to uh, our callers, and uh, they are starting to fill up the lines, Ari, do you think that the legal argument here is sound? I don't. I think basically what he's doing is he's trying to ask to have his cake and eat it too. He went to a youth court. He petitioned for this. He asked for it. The fact that the U.S. system takes longer than we'd like uh, doesn't mean that the proceedings in Canada are a null and void. He adopted and decided to follow the rules of the criminal code. He asked to come back here. Now, do I think there is some merit to the argument that he doesn't have to be on bail while this U.S. tribunal takes 200 years to decide certain things? There is merit to that. But when you have this person asking to speak privately, this is important, privately to his terrorist-sympathizing sister. Not, he can speak to her today supervised with his lawyer or with his uh, In English, supervisor, yeah. if he wishes. So this is something that we're not having the real conversation here. 
the politically hot button one about Omar Khadr and people who think like him. There is a facade that's been pulled over the wool of the Canadian people, in my view. And by the way, I don't think, as Phil may, may think, that this is a losing issue for Trudeau. I don't think it is. I think we're under this idea that, uh, you know, the Conservatives or Maxime Bernier are going to go as far on this issue as I think many Canadians at their dinner table will go. Trudeau has done a wonderful, wonderful job by saying that anybody who has any issues with certain cultures, religions, uh, numbers of immigration, he's done a very good job of stifling that debate. So I'm not so sure this is such a losing issue for him. Uh, well, <laughs> I think I would guess that judging by our callers, it is. So uh, guys, hang on and uh, let's hear from Tony and Keswick. Hi, Tony. I, I disagree with the Trudeau thing he just said. You know, many people say that the fact that, and it makes me, uh, that word he threw about throwing up. Yeah, I threw up when I found out this guy got north of $10 million for killing an American soldier. And uh, we're basically kind of protecting this guy and not throwing him back there to let him deal with justice. And that's what Canada's all about is justice. And I, I heard some legal ramblings about we used our legal rights and this, you know, to, 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 um, uh, uh, put this guy in jail and whatnot. But the bottom line is he is a murderer. He did kill an American soldier. And that, if I was an American or, or even a, anything to do with America, I would really have a bad taste in my mouth about Canada for what they did and what they didn't do. And why don't they throw him back in the States? Why don't they have, why are we protecting this guy? That's what I'm trying to say. He's a murderer. We know he is. He's got legal ties to terrorism, and we still baby this guy. What the heck's wrong with Canada? Are we worried about the racist word? We're not racist. We're a great country. And now I'm worried I'm worried about, you know, these lawyers and judges giving this guy, let him talk to his sister now. <laughs> you know what I mean? What if they do that? What else is going to happen now? You know, we're going to get terrorist rights to be able to talk to their families when they're in jail here or whatnot? This guy should be put away, throw away the key, get the $10 million, feed the hungry, you know, close the people who don't have a place to stay. And that's where our money should be going. Okay. And Trudeau had a lot to do with it. So I, I don't know. I, I, I'll i never vote for the, uh, for, never voted for his dad. And I won't vote for him anymore. But I, I, I just have a bad taste of my mouth about all this right here. But. Okay, Tony. I think we get where you're at on this. Uh, Ari and Phil, do you have a, a response to, uh, to Tony? I mean, um, those are pretty strong words. Well, I, I think Tony is, you know, representative of a certain part of the population. Let's face it, when the, when the settlement was announced a couple of years ago, you know, fully four and five Canadians thought this was an atrocious deal by the government to do this. So I think he captures sort of Canadian sentiment. But again, I mean, the, the point is, is that the rule of law has to apply and, and, and you know, like it or, or, or don't like it. Yes, he's a murderer. Yes, he killed a U.S. soldier. And, and, and he has to. And, and I think there, there are reasons to pay for that. I mean, some would argue it's within a, a war, although it's not an official war. I mean, this is complicated. And the other complicating factor is that he spent eight years in Guantanamo. And whatever you think about Guantanamo, it certainly isn't the regular legal justice system in any country, let alone the United States. So, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of angles to this. And I, I'm just as frustrated as any other Canadian. And certainly, you know, from my time as thesis, I mean, you know, the family is very, very well known. I, I know what this family is all about. And I feel the frustration. But we are a country of rule of law and we have to follow that rule of law. Okay, let's hear from Jim in Maple. Hi, Jim. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? A very quick question. Who's controlling the money? Has he already sent it to his sister? I don't know where he sent the money. Just, uh, I don't know that any... Well, who, who's controlling it? Trudeau gave it to him. It's our money. We should have some type of the uh, control as to where it goes. Are we supporting a, an ISIS group here in uh, Canada? 
Well, uh, once we gave him the money, it's his money. Um, it's that's... our money. We gave it to him, but I think we should have some control of it. I, I think that ship has sailed, Jim. <laughs> that ship has sailed. Um, uh, are you, I, let me I, ask you this. Are you, I mean, that really sticks in the craw of a lot of people. Are, are you going to remember that come the election? Absolutely, because one of the reasons that the, his rights they, uh, were given to him, but he wouldn't cooperate with the investigators in the jail. That's the reason they had to put more pressure on him. If he had cooperated, he would have probably been sent home to Canada immediately. But instead, he fought them because he is. He's a terrorist. Well, and no matter what you say, it's a law was be in his head. Anyway, that was the question. I wondered who's controlling the money? Where did it go? Somebody has to know where it went, whether or not to, it's his choice or not. It'll well, leave the country. Well, I, I'm sure that once he got the money, he has control of the money. Uh, Jim uh, in Maple, I'll, I'll throw that back to Ari and Phil in case I'm wrong, but I can't imagine. Jim in Maple, thanks for your call. Thank you. Uh, Phil and, and Ari, once he's awarded an award, it's up to him what to do with the money, right? Well, I, I would think so, but if in fact he does use the money to support terrorism, there's terrorist financing laws in this country. And there are, there are, there are agencies such as FinTrack, financial transactions organization, that tracks this kind of thing. And if, if in fact the money is used, if he sent a chunk of change to his sister and his sister is known to be involved in, a, in, in terrorist action, that's an offense under the criminal code and he can be charged. So I, I don't know, I'll defer to Ari. I, I think it's his money to do with what he wants, but if he chooses to support a terrorist group, that's illegal under and the criminal caught. code. Ari? Well, I can tell you two, two parts to that. And I think your caller, by the way, going back to you, that's asked a very wise question about the money. Because this is $10.5 million tax-free on the backs of taxpayers. Do I think he has the money free and clear? Yes. Do I think uh, I trust FinTrack one iota to track the kinds of transactions that Canadians, uh, by the thousands, send over, seize, whether it be to Pakistan or through certain religious groups of certain religions ending up back in countries? Do I think that money is monitored in the amount that it's being sent back? Absolutely not. I think Canadians should have real questions about that, we saw Faisal Hussein, the Danforth shooter. He had contributed a significant amount of money uh, back to certain places where we would not want money being sent. Uh, this is a really live question. And again, it goes back to what I said at the beginning. I'd like to know who's paying his legal, be- his legal bills, because with $10.5 million, if I was to find out he was on legal aid and his lawyers were not privately retained, I think that's something that should concern a lot of Canadians, given how many mentally ill, homeless, and other low-income people can't access legal services. That's a real issue here. And again, I still think Omar Cotter is sort of the poster boy for a much broader conversation that politicians are afraid to have because they don't want to get called a certain word, but it's one that if you travel across this great country, Canada, there are a lot of Canadians who don't have a single drop of hate or prejudice in their heart, who are very concerned with things that are happening in their country, and at least think it should be a conversation. Omar Cotter allows us to point our finger tidily at him, but he is, to me, much, much uh, more important as a catalyst for a bigger conversation that will not be had in this election year. Uh, when, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the lawyers and, and the legal bills. Uh, so, first of all, in terms of the money, I, I don't know if the money was given to him in a lump sum or if it's being paid over time or how it's 
going. Uh, but isn't this some kind of cause celebre for the lawyers that are taking it up? Uh, I mean, are they doing it possibly pro bono? I mean, do you have any idea, Ari? I don't, and I can tell you that when I read the things that his current lawyers say, I think they're very responsible. I have no fault with the lawyer. I never have a, a fault, and I want this to be clear to you listening, because some people might fault the lawyer. It is a lawyer's job to be an advocate for his client. This goes back to brass tacks. The applications that his lawyer is bringing are very sound in law. Now, do I think they should succeed? No, but I think they're meritorious and worthwhile to be brought. Do I impugn anything on to the current lawyer? No. Do I have concerns about the previous lawyer who sort of viewed Omar Cotter as his son and lived with him and bailed him out and paid a surety and sort of became the cause celebra? I absolutely one million percent do. Not the person who became the judge, by the way. I don't want to say the other person's name just because I don't want to dignify it. Whenever I read those comments, I'm like, is this guy your son? Because there's just got to be a separation between a lawyer and a client, whether you believe your client's innocent or not. We are advocates, and we cannot simply drink our client's Kool-Aid. Interesting. Uh, Phil Gursky, uh, do you have a view on that? Well, I'll, just, I'll disagree slightly with Ari. I, I, you know, I, I have colleagues that used to work at Fintrack. They're friends of mine, and it's not an easy job. But given the pedigree of the Cotter family, and all Canadians know they were an Al-Qaeda family from day one, I'd be very, I can't say this categorically because I don't, I don't work there and I no longer work for the service, but I'd be very, very surprised if Mr. Cotter's financial transactions weren't being monitored. There are reasonable grounds to suspect, given his past, that he could, in fact, at one point be involved in terrorism or his family still involved in terrorism. So, no, they won't catch it all, but I, I'd, be, I'd be gobsmacked if, in fact, there was not some kind of mechanism to see exactly where, if he is sending the money you know, to wherever, Pakistan, Afghanistan, the far side of the moon, as far as I'm concerned, I'd be very or his surprised sister if that was monitored. His sister in Georgia? Yeah, I don't, I don't know where she Georgia, is right now. In, in the United States, by the way. And, and Libby, by the way, just, no. she's not in Georgia, United States. No, Georgia in uh, the former Soviet that, that, Union. That's right. And just for people to understand, if they have any confidence in FinTrack, we have people in Canada who are Canadians who embezzle hundreds of millions of dollars offshore. They get away with it. They don't pay their tax. We have the Par- Panama Papers. We have the Paradise Papers. If anybody thinks these kinds of transactions are going to be tracked or prosecuted, come to downtown Toronto any given Tuesday and watch how many fraud prosecutions of tens of millions of dollars get dropped because people can't put two and two together. So this question, I go back to your caller, Libby, who asked about the money. I thought it was a very sage question because we are not talking chump change, and we've seen example after example of money being sent back from Canada to organizations or religious institutions, and I'm obviously tap dancing too here, where at the end of the day, that money is not going to, for example, Sick Kids Hospital or the Toronto Humane Society. Ari, you know what? Um, I would probably agree with you in a general way that uh, maybe they're not keeping track, but I have to agree with Phil that if anybody was going to be uh, targeted for uh, extreme... I don't know, extreme not supervision, but but for tracking the money, I, it would be Omar Cotter. I mean, oh, I, I agree yeah. with that. We yeah, agree. I'm sure. I'm sure that if there was something of his to catch, they would. They would. Well, I can't say sure, but uh, well, I, I would agree with. I don't. <laughs> okay, let's uh, let's take a call from Sean in Hamilton. Hi, Sean. Hey, good afternoon, Libby. I have a question and a comment. One: Would he be on a no-fly list? Uh, does anyone know, Phil? 
I'd have be surprised if he's, if he's not. Uh, I mean, the, the criteria are actually quite they're quite um, fluid, I would say, based on my experience. But give, again, given his pedigree, his family's pedigree, I'd be very surprised if Omar Carter. First of all, he can't get a passport. He's not being given a Canadian passport, and that's the right move. You don't give passport to people who are going to use that to travel the country to join terrorist groups like Al-Qaeda, Islamic State, whatever. So I can't say he's on a no-fly list, but I, I'd be very surprised if he's not. Okay, and then the the, the comment that I have is uh, is is I understand how legally the government had to give them the money and everything like that, which I hundred percent disagree with. But I think the government would have had some say is when when to hand it out. And when it was on the fourth of July, I thought that was really disgusting of the government doing that or allowing that date for the money to be released. Hmm. Interesting point, Shan. Thanks. Uh, let's go to uh, Mary in Burlington. Hi, Mary. Libby. Hi. Interesting, interesting topic again. Libby, Omar Carter, or whatever his name is, he, as far as I'm concerned, has abrogated every right to any kind of democratic consideration. End of story. And I do not see why the government of Canada should be acquiescing to his every wish. Enough well, is enough of Omar Carter. Well, He's not I, going anywhere. He's staying here. You know what, Mary? Thanks for your call. I think uh, I, I think that uh, Phil uh, said it right uh, the first time. Uh, a, a lot of Canadians are very sick of hearing about him. But he is going through, uh, you know, the legal avenues open to him, uh, and it is a political issue as well. Um, People, I have to wrap things up here. Free for All Friday coming up. uh, And before we go, uh, Ari Goldkind, what would you like to leave us with? I think that your caller just there makes an important point about the government of Canada. Well, the government of Canada is comprised of the people we vote for. And when you look at low voter turnout and you look at a lot of people calling your show, this is simply a question of going to the ballot box about things that you actually believe are important. And number two, I think there's a quick takeaway here that will be the moral of the story. He has $10.5 million of your and my dollars. It's about 0.33 of a cent, I did this once because I was so ticked about it, of my money that I want back. But one of his bail applications would be a little while ago, as you and I talked about, was he wanted to go make a pilgrimage to the Hodge. And he had to do it right away. Couldn't wait five years, ten years, fifteen years, the, so, the way so many devout, peaceful, law-abiding Muslims wait. They save money and they go at some point in their life. He has $10.5 million. He doesn't have a Canadian passport. It would be delightful to me if he gave that $10.5 million back, took a passport, made his pilgrimage, and never came back here. I don't think a Canadian would lose a lot of sleep over that kind of deal. Um, <laughs> okay, yeah. Phil Gursky. but you have my point. Okay, I have your point. <laughs> Phil Gursky, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, two things. First of all, you know, uh, you know, like like a lot of your callers, a lot of Canadians, I'm just sick and tired of the whole Carter thing. If he just went away, we'd all be happier. Secondly, especially your last Justin point, Trudeau. Unfor- yeah, unfortunately, um, Omar Carter is a Canadian. He was born here. We, he has certain rights as a Canadian. As 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 disgusting as his acts were, and as disgusting as the ideology of his family, he is a Canadian citizen by birth. That can't be taken away. And, and as a Canadian, he has certain rights. They cannot be abrogated, to the best of my knowledge. So we have to deal with the situation. 
Uh, it's, it, it's terrible. It sucks. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Maybe don't call me again about Omar Cotter, please. Uh, <laughs> I but, can't you know, promise that, Phil. It, it's not going away. He's not going away. I wish you. I wish you were. And then you and I could talk about you know happier things in life. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, we'll talk about happier things for sure. <laughs> but maybe Omar Cotter as well. Thank you very much, Ari Goldkind, Phil Gursky. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. 